And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we are back for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. And Fullscale also makes sure that we can do this amazing podcast. So, so we love them a lot. Uh, so today we have with us a, a fantastic woman leader, um, and she does something that I just, I find so fun. Uh, so we have with us Petra Kralichkova, and she is with the National Museum of Toys and Miniatures. So she is a, a nonprofit leader, and she gets to hang around really, really cool stuff all day long, and she gets to do some pretty cool programs. So I wanted to talk to her about her experiences. Petra, thank you so much for being with us here today. Hi, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Such a pleasure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, so of course, the first question that I'm going to ask you is kind of that general, tell us about you, tell us a little bit about the museum, you know, tell it, tell us about your journey. How did you get here? Mm -hmm. About me, about the museum. It's always interesting how the journey takes you and your milestones, whether they're personal or professional kind of mark who you are. So I love that the museum, especially the Toy and Miniature Museum, has become my part of the journey where I am now, right now. Um, you know, I always allowed my journey to kind of evolve, but I held on to the steering wheel very carefully. You know, growing up in Czechoslovakia under communism, I was a very fortunate 15-year-old when the communism ended. And I remember specifically singing a song in English and thinking, I'm going to go to America. And I did. And I think that is how my journey have always been. I put something in my head and then I follow that dream. Um, so it's been, it's been an amazing if I have to kind of look back that way, because I have always worked and ended up working in creative environments for that reason. I've worked with museums and galleries and was always able to kind of think of the next thing. What do I want to do next? Um, so really starting as, as a curator at uh, the Kennedy Museum of Art and a director of exhibitions at the College of Fine Arts Art Galleries allowed me to work with artists and galleries and professors and students and, and just creatives and a small um, academic community. And this was right after my master's degree. I knew nothing. I was, I, I was directing something that the, the, the students many times looked much older than I did. And so it was a huge challenge. And I stayed there for 10 years directing the uh, galleries. And then I picked up another job in 2008 as the curator of the Kennedy Museum of Art. And that let me again to start directing more um, uh, challenging exhibitions and artists that I could bring in. And all along, I was also an artist. You know, I said I got my MFA. Uh, and so I was a studio artist. But 
as I was directing and being more in the administration, I realized that that part also was was creative. I was now conducting uh, exhibitions for others and conducting and learning together with artists and galleries and and professional gallerists and and artists like Mark Dion and Jim da- Jim Dine, and so that really became my job, though I loved exhibiting my own work. Uh, I I studied ceramics and then uh, I did installation. So large, um, large works uh, across a room that you could enter. Um, And I, you know, I exhibited in New York in a black and white gallery in, in Brooklyn, but that all just continued going. And I said, my final work was my son, who is now 10 years old. And when I belly was so big, I couldn't bend over. I just had to, I had to really move along. And so my next really milestone was, um, I started looking to be uh, a director of a museum because I really enjoyed that that orchestrating the administration, believe it or not, I find it very creative. And, um, I applied, but, you know, what I was being asked was fundraising and raising money. And and I became then a fundraiser for the National Czech and Slovak Museum. And I began to work with donors and immigrants and ambassadors and consul generals and delegations from Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And it was an amazing community and learning how to speak with people. And so after those uh, couple of years of the museum, I was ready to try again if, I, if I'm ready. And so um, I applied for a couple of positions and then um, Kansas City uh, recruited me to be the next executive director for the National Toy and Miniature Museum. And all is, and everything else is history, right? Yeah. Wow. So I, know. I put a lot of that, I mean, you, you know, you really only you spoke for a few minutes, and and there are just I like I've been writing furiously like all of these questions that I want to ask you because there are so many different avenues that I want to go down. So so you're gonna have to bear with me if I'm a little all over the place. Uh, but but the first question that I want to ask you, I want to take you all the way back to the beginning of your story, Absolutely. and I want to ask you, you know, as a, a an immigrant, someone who you know lived under socialism in Czechoslovakia. How do you think um, having that kind of experience changed you, informed you, affected you? Sure. You know, I I always say the story of just being, living very close to my grandparents, um, watching my grandfather who uh, just despised communism and went through an incredible, um, you know, owning a business and being an entrepreneur to not um, joining the party. And so um, becoming a sweeper at a factory, because that's all you could do if you didn't join the, the party, just how tenacious and deliberate and um, vocal he was about what he believed in. And and still, you know, there was the Radio Free Europe. I would I would go to downstairs to my grandparents and there would be my my grandpa. And I was frightened of him because he was so sinuous and so, so serious. And I was I was the younger kid I, uh, of, of the two. And, you know, I was too loud and I jumped too much and I asked too many questions. And so I, 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 I don't know. I was frightened of him because he could he could really just look at me. But he just sat there and cut an apple with 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 his with his hands and 
the knife. He was putting it, putting the apple in his in his mouth just with the knife and holding an antenna of a radio to listen to the radio for Europe and just get that information at least a little bit so he feels strong and empowered. And it was just a real visceral experience for me to to be part of that as a, as a as a kid, not knowing yeah. really much more. Well, well, that is, what an example. That is absolutely beautiful and inspiring. I love that story. So, so tell me this, you know, you clearly your grandparents and your grandfather, they had a, a huge impact on you. Um, and I think the thing that stands out to me in the story you just told is, is the fact that he was so strong in standing up for his principles, um, even, even to his own detriment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, you know, some of those more standard measures of success, those were out of reach for him because of choices that he made to be strong in his beliefs. And I, I anybody who does that, like you just have to, you really have to look up to them and, and uh, kind of hope to em- emulate them. And so my question to you is, how do you stand up for your principles? And actually it's a two-parter because I want to hear what your principles are, but I want to hear how you stand up for your principles today. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was part of it, what you've asked about my journey and I kind of allow to let it evolve, but I'm always holding and almost controlling if I, if, if I may say that, and I'm not a controlling person, but I'm always thinking what else I can learn? And I think this goes back to my grandfather. You know, I'm I'm such a student of life. I'm continually looking up. If I don't know something, I pick up the phone and call whoever knows better. If I don't know something, you know, I Google it and I look and I study it. And so um, studying, constantly studying is is such a principle in my life. Communication is almost the most important part where I feel like leadership stems for me right now. Um, Really learning how to communicate clearly. And I fail every day. I mean, let's be clear. But I'm always trying to, and I ask questions and I ask questions. And though that may be really annoying at times to people, because um, in a way, if you're asking questions, you might be questioning them or you might be questioning what they're doing. But I just really want to know what the problem is so I can find the best solution. So really, kind of my other principle is, you know, finding what the problem is and then and then passing it on to people that are closest to the problem. I feel like as a leader now, I really try not to solve the problem myself. I inspire staff to kind of do their best work, but then I build on that energy and I build on their skill, but then I stay out of the way. Once I understand the problem, you see where I'm constantly holding on to that theory. (laughs) I want to understand the problem. And then I feel like we're on the same page. And so I have now kind of become almost probably more confusing to my staff than anything else, because I don't direct a rather I, I, I tell them how I'm thinking about things, what I'm thinking about, how I'm arriving to understanding. And I share this mumble of thoughts and I say, so so are we on the same page? And they're like, ah, Petra. <laughs> so it's really <laughs> crucial for me to kind of talk, think and, and share, being transparent, how I am approaching the thinking and from which direction. And then I feel like that 
people can really understand why I'm making some decisions or why I'm arriving at, at, at those thoughts. So really kind of being transparent, learning how to communicate constantly and allowing people to, to, to solve the problem they're closest is, is really so important. And then of course, being tenacious and, and nimble and, and resourceful comes from really my kind of humble upbringing, if you will, during communism. Yeah, that's uh that's amazing. Um, I, I really love your your commitment to transparency and authenticity as a leader, because I think that sometimes sometimes that gets lost um, in people's leaderships, leadership journeys. You're so focused on being the boss um, that, that you may so, some may lose sight of how to be a leader. And sometimes being a leader means, to your point, empowering others around you to to do their best work. Um, so, so I really, I really love that. Um, so, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go back again, just a little bit. <laughs> One of the things that I, you know, as you were telling your story, I, I just, I had several kind of wow reactions. If you could see my face right now, um, <laughs> you know, I was like, wow, oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, so, so you, you've done a lot of, of, different kinds of things. You've been an artist, you know, you've done, uh, you know, administration for, for galleries and for museums at a lot of different levels. And, and I want to ask you why, why museums, why galleries? Like why, you know, you, you talked about your love of administration and, and how that's a creative process. And we're going to delve into that. I promise you. Uh, Cause that was something else that I wrote down. I just thought that was really cool. But, you know, as an artist, what, satisfies you or brings you joy in what you do in your day to day? You know, you ask a couple of a couple of things there, kind of what brings me joy. And then you ask one more question right before that, kind of how how um, how that journey really brought me from from being an artist and being why managing galleries, I suppose. I think that was it. Joy and galleries and museums. You know, I think, like I said, I let it evolve. I was always interested in kind of um, hands on and creating. And, and I watched, you know, my grandpa would fix a fence and my father would go and unfix it and fix it differently. So you can see there's a bit of a dynamic there. So I love this like problem solving how a fence could be fixed so many different ways with the same string or, and so I just, I just loved, I think I always kind of tried um, to be creative in that way. In high school, I, 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 I um, went to a um, uh, high school that taught uh, accounting and um, typing and shorthand. And so it was for girls to become, uh, it was for girls to become secretaries, really. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was- that They're was, still very useful transferable. I know. <laughs> Uh, so it was, uh, even though we no longer type on typewriters and, and do shorthand, but I felt like I started really learning how to work with my hands and just cre- seeing how, how creative problems happens. And I, I really think artists, as creative as they are, they're problem solvers, and they're always looking how to do something differently, how to, how to envision something in a material world. And so, you know, when I um, kind of envisioned to come to America, and then I have, that is where I started and, and got that freedom to to um, become an artist and study to be an artist. When I was still in the Czech Republic, I actually applied to study uh, English and be an English teacher, and I wasn't accepted because, you know, my English wasn't good enough. Uh, I learned English in high school, so that's my first 
uh, place where I learned English. Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't pass the entrance exam. So I went to London and I started learning there and I spent six months there to, to, to prove and to learn English. So I felt like the world has always told me what to do next in some way, if I was deficient in some way. But I just, you know, as an artist, I, I dealt with museums and I dealt with galleries and I always felt it wasn't enough that I wasn't the gallery's floors weren't clean or the, the hooks weren't installed, the lights weren't. I'm like, I can do better. And I think that pushed me to, to become an administrator and make a, the best experience possible for other artists. And, you know, I moved for love back to, back to Athens, Ohio, where Ohio University, where I studied, but then I uh, left for master's degree and moved back for love to, to be there. And there wasn't really a lot of uh, opportunities as is, but uh, there was an opening for for a director of exhibitions, and I I was gonna get that job, or that was it, and I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so so I am gonna cut in here really quickly and just remind our audience that today's episode of Start a Puzzle is sponsored by Full Scale, and that Full Scale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably. We 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 love Full Scale and and everything that they do to make this show possible to help their clients, to help clients build teams that can, that can help them succeed. So, so thank you full scale. You guys rock. Um, just wanted to, to mention that really quickly, but, um, so Petra, I'm going to, I'm going to follow that thread just a little bit. Um, you know, you talk about, well, actually, I'm not going to follow that thread. I just changed my mind. Sometimes I do that. You're at my whim. Ha ha ha. Uh, <laughs> so what I'm going to ask is um, earlier you talked about how you're a problem solver and how artists are, are problem solvers. And one of the things that I love about artists is that often they have to be so entrepreneurial. And I don't know that people really acknowledge that. But if you are an artist or a performer, you have to hustle to to sell yourself and to sell your work and to, you know, become successful commercially so that you can survive, so that you can eat, really. Um, so I, I want to talk to you about that. Like, how do you feel like you apply the entrepreneurial lens to the work that you do? Absolutely. You know, I mean, I started as 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 an artist, and so um, learning all those skills to to have so many hats, like you said, you know, you have to market yourself, you have to sell yourself, you have to have a brand, you have to actually have a product that's good and somebody will buy it. It has to be marketed in a way that people would either afford it or that you actually get paid, and so. All of this, I felt like, you know, all of these aspects of being an artist and I, I really pushed it, you know, I, I, I think I applied every day to everything. I was sending out packets. I had it down to the science. And of course, all the rejections letters were coming back, but I felt like I was always learning. And I think, again, the entrepreneurial spirit comes from you do all of this work and you completely fail at like 90% of it, but it gives you so much information why you're failing. That, that I, I, I'm laughing because I, I cannot tell you how much I agree with that. And I also cannot tell you how much people don't 
don't seem to know that. <laughs> I hated getting those letters, but I loved learning why would they would say that they didn't like something. And of course, sometimes the letters were, you know, just more, more of a, just, this is me. Well, sometimes you have to take it with a grain of salt. Like, yeah, consider the story. I tell you sometimes what, I went and I looked who got that position. I went and I looked who got that show. And I yeah. went and I looked whom they hired for the position I didn't get. And I scoured what they have and I didn't. And of course, it's all written. But there is so much information. And I think that's where, again, the kind of the tenacity um, comes in of just learning. And I just really wanted to know why did I fail? So I don't do it again. And I think, you know, now being a nonprofit uh, leader, you know, there is board relations, HR, policies and communication and marketing and social media, fundraising. And it feels like I have done all those things already. So it's really interesting, even though I don't have a deep knowledge of all of them, I have enough knowledge to then rely on the people that are that are professionals, but I know how to fail. I feel like I have failed so many times that it doesn't bother me. Yeah. You're, you're not as, as uncomfortable as the average person might be. You know, I said, I'm going to go to England because I failed my entrance exams. And I did. And I, you know, I got, I, I got uh, to, to go studies there. I'm going to go to America and, and do something else there. And I followed love there. And I failed with that love, you know. And, and it's just, it's just, I think... You allow those failures to kind of inform you. And I think that's that's the entrepreneur's spirit that it's just you just get up and keep going. Yeah. Well, well, I love that. And I I just I I have to tell you, I I truly admire you and I, you know, we've talked before, but we've never had like a really long deep conversation and so I'm just I'm learning so many little gems uh, about you and I, I really love this we met <laughs> an interesting time where I was just getting here what 2017 three years ago yeah and, you know COVID hit halfway through it and so it's just it's just been challenging in that way to really get to know people and get to get to kind of pursue uh really to be out on public you know yeah well, so, so, so now I want, I'm going to give you the opportunity to brag a little bit yeah. and, and, and here, here it comes. So, so the, the museum, mm-hmm. I have to tell you, I, I went to the museum, I experienced the museum and I don't think I expected to enjoy it as much. I expected to enjoy it. Yeah. But I don't think I expected to enjoy it as much as I did. Um, you have led a team that has crafted and curated a really incredible collection of fun and beauty and like all of these just really incredible memories and history. And like, for instance, one of the things that was super, super stuck with me, um, the, the, it's it's um like an architecture model like a cl- not a classroom but like a do you know what i'm talking about <laughs> like i mean it, it was just this beautiful miniature is it like a diorama is that what it's called it's an architect's classroom and it's a room yeah. a miniature scale interpretation of architect's classroom by and, 
Um, I'm like, I can picture it in my head, like crystal clear right now, because I was so struck by not just how beautiful it was, but how it was really just a slice of, of history and the amount of care and detail that went into creating this, this classroom was just, it, it blew my mind. And so there, there were several exhibits like that, like through I, many actually throughout the museum where like I'm being kind of taken on this journey. And some of these things are reminding me of my childhood. And some of these things are teaching me. And some of these things are things that are just kind of fun to look at, you know? <laughs> and so I, you've, it, it's just, the museum is an incredible experience. And so I want you to talk to us about the museum and kind of, Tell us, how do you feel about the museum and what do you love about it? You know, I was just blown away when I walked in during the interview and um, just taken by the staff uh, of their, how professional they were, of the museum, how professional it was, how, how lit it was, how clean, how presented. And, you know, you have to know, I stepped into the museum just post-renovation. So the museum really has been there since 1982 and started at uh, a 7,500 square foot museum at a mansion on the university campus of UMKC. And then we have since uh, have done several remodels and additions. And now it's 30, over 33,000 square foot museum of, of art and history and the art being the fine scale miniatures. And I say fine scale because it is a scale that's considered one to 12 where artists, fine scale miniature artists work at. And history, I mean toys, because it really brings the history of toys and our social history, why toys are made at the time that they were made and what they reflect and how and how children played with them. So we're really, we need to kind of own and what I am continuing is the legacy of our founders. So we had two amazing women, uh, Barbara Marshall and Mary Harris Francis, as the founders of the museum. Barbara was a patron of the arts. She commissioned work. So that is why you find that so amazing because it's one of a kind work. It's commissioned. And she commissioned some of those work. The um, uh, artist classroom, ar sorry, architect's classroom made by uh, Bill Robertson, who is actually a local artist and is regarded as one of the most inspiring and inspired miniature artists in the world in Kansas City and yeah. made this uh, classroom and it is so researched and so detailed and everything works. The little toolbox, the little shades, the the, the chairs spin down and, and the, the yeah. paint, everything works. I think he actually spoke at TEDx. Yes, he did. Years back. Yes, he did. And watching the process that he used, because I mean, he's not only is he, he's, he's, He's actually a craftsman just at a much smaller scale. Yeah. But not only that, like, so not only do these things work, but he's like sourcing wood that is of the period and metals that are of the period. And I just remember being so struck 
by the the absolute painstaking attention to detail and the work, like everything that he's doing, you know, you can have a craftsman make a chair and it's going to be a beautiful chair and it's going to work well and that's great. But he's doing it at such a small level, like he's wearing these little glasses and using these teeny tiny tools that he made himself. And like, it's just, it, it's a fascinating process to watch. Um, I just, I love it. <laughs> yes. And you know, so I was in, in arts and I directed arts and full scale arts. And so learning now, again, you see that learning, I continue to learn. I love it. Uh, learning about miniatures and miniature artists that, that create these uh, miniature works of art. So I just want to stress that, you know, we are an art museum that is just magical and it's an art of imagination really if you will and because Barbara was the patron of the arts and because she commissioned work uh, my curators coined it as the museum of dreams and I tell you why it's because <laughs> Barbara allowed and she supported and she pushed the artists to create something that was one of a kind and it was something that they've always wanted to do and then she allowed it where Mary Harris Francis loved stories behind toys. So many times she didn't want the brand new toy in a box. She wanted the toy that was played with, that was punched, that was torn, that was repaired, that was brushed and, and know that story and tell the story. And I think that is why I walk through the museum. Sometimes I walk out of my office and I hear, oh my God, I had that toy and remember we did this. And it is just so amazing. And when you walk downstairs in the miniature, you hear, how is this made? That is impossible. I mean, what museum do you walk in that you hear these exclamations of joy? And it is amazing. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. I mean, I, I and I, I had very much the same experience and I, I, I need to go back um, mostly so that we can hang, but also... Because I just, I, I remember walking. All. You can't see it all. If we were the full scale, we would be a yeah. huge museum. And so you just cannot see it all. I just, I remember like walking through and I, I was fascinated by the miniatures and I loved, like you, you have a really impressive dollhouse uh, collection. Like that was super fun to look at. And I, re I remember like walking by and I saw Teddy Ruxpin and I got all excited because yeah. I was like, I remember playing with my Teddy Ruxpin when I was a little kid. And I, I love that you refer to it as the museum of dreams, because I, I, I can totally see that and appreciate that. And I think that everybody could probably use a little bit more of their, their childhood in their lives. And you know. Know, the, the way that the museum is really special is that you bring uh, your aunt, you bring your uncle, you bring your grandparents, and you bring multiple generations, children, they will all have fun. Nobody will be sitting on the sidelines. Everybody will be engaged in these amazing conversations of, of memory and of history and of amazement and, and, and magic. How is this possible? And you envision everybody huddling and showing, look at that tiny little detail. You know, that is just so incredible. So we do hear that people bring their uh, in-laws uh, into our museum when they visit because it's one of a kind museum. You can't see it anywhere else. Yeah, it, it really is a, a, a Kansas City treasure. And I would highly recommend like anybody in the Kansas City area definitely go. Um, it's it's just a really fun, uh, fun experience, I would say. Well, but you know, it's, really Lauren, it's just a sense of wonder. 
combines it's the whole- not in the Kansas City area. Come for a visit. We have good barbecue here. <laughs> and you know, it, it it really what I loved, I think, most of all, because I I start, you know, I, I'm a traveler and I I'm a reader and I cook and and um I, I love being in nature, but the collection encompasses objects from history, architecture, decorative arts, material culture, science, mathematics, theater set uh, design. It's just, I loved how you can talk about everything through all of those uh, objects. And it just really, just coming from an art perspective was so interesting, but that you can have these objects that speak to so many um, fields was really impressive. Yeah. Well, I, I love that. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. So here it comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, so talk to us about the experience of running this museum. And one of the things that I want to hear about, you know, going back to that problem solver lens that you apply to things, what are some of the the challenges that you have experienced as a curator and a director and a leader for such a, a an institution? You know, so I was tasked um, to to make the museum visible, both local and national, uh, on a both local and national level, to diversify income and, and grow programs in order to kind of bring a broad audience and partnerships. So I came in with, with a very specific strategic plan that wanted to accomplish something, and I felt it was great because I know what to do. Uh, But it really has taken me a while to figure out how I do it in my own way. And so looking back now, you know, it took it took selecting a team. And so that was challenging because I couldn't jump to do those things. You know, I had to do hiring and I had to do interviewing and I had to place the right people in the right place and and, and then align the team in a way that we're going the right way. Get used to each other. Me asking all these questions and, and you know, what what does really uh, the new director want? And it's 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 I think it was just I I arrived to a museum that was amazing, amazingly organized. It was stable uh, financially and organizationally. And how do you create a change in something that's so perfect? (laughs) So you have to almost break it again, you know, and I feel I have almost broken it just so I can, I can, I can kind of create a, a space. And I think that was most challenging because it, it took me a while to really figure out how I can make that difference? How am I going to make those goals a reality? What is going to be my uh, kind of journey? How are we going to do it? And then why, you know, and then having to say, why are we doing this? And, you know, it, it allowed me to really kind of say, I'm focusing on the museum. And especially now, of course, it changed halfway, midway through that goal. I was ready with with initiatives and, and all kinds of things. And then COVID hit. So I had to re-scramble all over again. And, and now, you know, we're becoming in, in a more focus of how to be resilient, how to be impactful, how to be sustainable. In a way, I I now have like a second goal, even though I'm still working on the first one that I was handed. But right now, uh, with COVID, it just became like a whole uh, new bag of worm because I thought, oh, man, that's not why I was here to do that. But, you know, somebody told me I have such, such smart board members. They tell me, you know what? Your success will be how you lead through COVID and how you 
that will be your legacy. And I'm like, okay. And that pushed me like, you know what, all the other, all the other initiatives we had to pause and cancel and, and stop. That was okay. Because that was again, my, my next direction. And I loved it because I can still pick, pick that up, but creating how we get through this and understanding that that is my purpose. I was able to do it. So both challenges, you can see, I had to kind of switch gears as everybody else did, but I think that's, that was my grappling as well. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I, there are very few leaders that I know that would be so uniquely qualified to, to lead your organization through such a difficult time. So way to go on that. (laughs) But I guess I, I, I want to turn our eyes to the future a little bit. I think that, you know, COVID has, has deeply impacted our society across so many different levels. And, you know, I, I, but I think that we are reaching a point where we're, we're getting through it and we're finding ways to innovate and, you know, dare I say pivot um, to, to <laughs> come together and deal with this. So, so what I, what I would like to talk to you about right now is, is what are, what are your hopes for the future? What do you, what do you see or what are you most excited about um, for, for the museum? You know, I think COVID didn't just change the direction of, of kind of how to be resilient and impactful and sustainable. That was always there, but it became kind of the high peak. But I think what, what, I mean, COVID wasn't the only, um, um, if you will, tragedy or, or, or activity that's happening right now, you know, it's, it's also how we become uh, a civic leadership organization that, that has the civic knowledge and, and mindset and skill to kind of have conversations that are, that are current. And so, you know, we are now uh, also looking at our museum to be more diverse and it's, it's kind of pushed through uh, how to how to include diversity and inclusion and equity and and those are of course all the really important words and that they are in in everything that we do and they weren't there at the, really the very beginning when I got there I, they were there but not on the front of the front of the, like the windshield I always compare it I'm driving a car but it is so important to kind of be be a museum that that can um, also lead that and you know like we're a toy and miniature museum. We're, we're full of joy. We're full of intrigue, but you know, I, I love how that we too can follow the current state of affairs and that it is important. And so I see going forward, you know, we will continue to educate young people. And it's so important because, you know, you can share history with them and you can share um, memory. I also thought about, you know, the, the, population that's that's retiring because memory is so important and we at the museum can instill that memory can trigger can poke at the memory of of the long term and can really help with some of the memory decline so i love that idea that we can bring the museum to folks with 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 memory issues and so young people older people but also how to stay in the conversation of of diversity, equity, and inclusion, because 
that has become really important to us, believe it or not, uh, as, as a small of a museum as we are. So I'm just looking forward to grappling with all these problems. And in a way, I have coined myself as a problem solver and it, it lands in my lap and I'm like, God dang it. And then I am like, oh my God, this is amazing. Let's solve this problem and how do we do it? So I feel like I have a whole new slew of uh, issues and, 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 and I feel it's, it's really empowering. Um, and it's enjoyable. You've asked me what what I find uh, a joy in, and I I think I love uh, you know solving problems. But creating opportunities through those problems is always where I end up. It creates opportunities. Every single problem that we have, COVID created so many opportunities to to pivot, if you will, and that word is becoming kind of a uh, overused pivot to to put our our programs on online and and we we revamped our uh website and because we needed to and so um and now conversations about racism and anti-racism has allowed us to have really important and hard conversations and i think those are amazing opportunities are they easy no oh my god but they 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 make me get up every day and, and look forward to going yeah well, so so Petra, I have to tell you, we're we're coming up on the end of time, but I, I do have one final question for you, and I cannot imagine that you're going to be surprised by this question, and I bet you've probably gotten it before, but I just want to know, so I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, but my question to you is, what was your favorite toy when you were a kid? When I was growing up. You know, growing up in communism, it's interesting because I was surrounded by by uh, uh, different toys completely. And so communism didn't allow any of the American toys in. But I, when I have to think, I loved Karel Zeman, who was a Czech filmmaker. And that is, I think, where my kind of animation and production and 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 live action and just the pure awe of of travel and he was inspired inspired always by Julius Verne's um, uh, stories and so I I just loved watching all of these movies and you know other than that I grew up in a in a country that had puppets and and marionettes and and storytelling so I had always a puppet. But the one toy that I recall that I love, and it is funny because it's a Russian doll and the Russians, you know, invaded Czechoslovakia for 40 years. But my favorite doll was was one that I got and it had blue hair. I already had a, yeah. a doll with, you know, regular blonde hair and I love brushing it and changing clothes. This one had blue hair and I thought it was the most amazing thing ever. I love that. Did, did did he or she have a name? You know what? I don't remember. I just remember. Oh, no. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, after all the travels and moving from a country uh, to another country, you let go of so much that none of my uh, almost none of my uh, private things as a child are with me that, you know, I, I couldn't bring with me. So it really exists in my memory. And I don't remember what her name was. Oh, my goodness. Well, I, I, I think she'll forgive you. 
I hope so. Slurly loves you a lot. So (laughs) I feel like she'll forgive you. Uh, Well, so Petra, thank you so much for taking the time to to talk with us today. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I know our, our listeners did as well. Thank you, Lauren. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, so, so folks, um, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedules to listen to the Startup Hustle podcast. Uh, Startup Hustle was sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. I'm Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC, and we will catch you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.